Volition once held a design session in which employees could pinch their own ideas for games. The company was looking for what came next after a series of underperforming titles. One suggestion was a hybrid between a first-person shooter and a gang simulator, which at the time was something that really hadn't been done before. After setting some ground rules in order to reduce the controversy around such a game, Volition got started on their PS2 project titled Bling Bling shortly thereafter. But the game didn't keep the bling. Instead, it was released as Saints Row in August of 2006. Today, we're going to tell you the story of Saints Row, and as part of its story, we'll learn about the history of Volition, the studio that developed it. So stick around and join us as we show you our own bling on yet another trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 157th episode of our video game history podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we'll tell you a story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. It can be about a game, a console, a person, a technology, whatever I want to do, so long as I can find a way to make it relevant to this week. Well, doing so... Well, teaching you said story, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. Today, we're all going to learn about Saints Row, the action-adventure game developed by Volition in August of 2006. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who is currently recruiting for his own gang. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, go ahead and pitch the people your gang. Let's get some people recruited. Well, Dave, if you like to have fun, play some cool games, and not afraid to talk some smack to your friends, that's the gang you want to be in. That's a gang? That's the gang. That sounds like a club or a crew or something from a video game. Well, we're calling it a gang. Oh, so we're a gang of people now. That we are. The chain gang? Well, I mean, if that's your kink. I guess to each their own. Indeed, indeed. Or maybe it is. (laughs) (laughs) There are people that are going to love that one. Boy, oh boy. Oh boy. So what you playing? Well, Dave, this week has seen some RuneScape and Rocket League, has seen a little bit of PC building sim, some Phasmophobia, and some Satisfactory. Nice. So quite a quite a good list this week. What about yourself? Some Rocket League, some Mortuary Assistant, m- more Horizon Forbidden West, and I dabbled a little bit with this game I have on my Switch called Automa Chef. It's about Interesting. It. It's basically like, I mean, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a it's a restaurant sim that's all about automation. So that sounds pretty awesome, actually. It is kind of cool. I think it's on PC. It was like three bucks on the store, and I've been playing with my Switch a little bit more because, you know, as I lay around trying to recover from my injury. I don't always have the wherewithal to be sitting in a chair or on the couch 
to play in my traditional places. So if I'm laid up in bed, the switch has been a very good resource. So right on. All right. I already know the answer to this, but are you familiar with Saints Row? Never heard of it. No, not at all. No, this one escapes me. We've, Can't tell we've you never about it. We've never played Saints Row ever. No, I don't think we have, Dave. Yeah, I don't think we have either. I don't know what well, you're then you're about, about to, you're about to learn a whole lot. Oh, I believe I'm going to learn a whole lot because, you know, I know I've played every well, maybe not every, but almost every game in this series. And I couldn't tell you a damn thing about the development or the studio. So let's have at it. I mean, to be fair, I know the I know the only one we haven't played is the newest one, the reboot. So at least I well, think it's the only one I haven't played. Well, there you go. There you go. So last week we covered Bioshock. And as part of its story, we learned that it was inspired by System Shock 2. The first System Shock was developed by Looking Glass Technologies. Now, initially, this studio was called Blue Sky Productions when it was founded in 1990. But in 1992, it merged with Learner Research to become Looking Glass. Now, the guys who founded Blue Sky were Paul Narath and Ned Lerner. They had met in college. Immediately after college, they took different paths into a video game career. Paul Narath worked with Origin Systems, where he led a design on a game called Space Rogue, while Ned Lerner founded his own development company called Lerner Research. Now, Lerner Research developed three titles before it became Blue Sky. First, they worked on Chuck Yanger's Advanced Flight Trainer, followed by another flight sim called F-22 Interceptor. In 1992, they released a racing video game called Car and Driver. Yes, like the magazine. The menus in the game were even designed to imitate the appearance of the pages in one of the magazine's issues. Two of the programmers who worked on Car and Driver were Mike Kulas and Matt Tolschlag. During the development of Car and Driver, they gained the skills and confidence to consider launching their own development company. Also, they knew that if they failed, they had the skills to seek work with another company. So in June of 1993, they founded Parallax Software in Champaign, Illinois. Prior to this, Tushlog actually lived in Boston and moved to Illinois for the lower cost of living. So early on, they developed a rough concept for a game called Inferno, which they pitched to Apogee Software. Now we've talked about Apogee before. It was a very relevant company in the early days of PC gaming. I'm pretty sure it came up on our in our episode on Doom. We talk, probably talked about it when we discussed Duke Nukem. And we've actually covered Inferno before. In fact, in fact, it has its own episode. Damn. Crazy. I didn't remember. This is what I honestly didn't remember. And I won't expect you to because I didn't. So. No, I got this one, Dave. Oh, I yeah, sure Apogee. you did. Yeah. Oh, OK. You remember Apogee. That's not that's not the episode. Inferno is the episode. Hey, that's why I remember them. So Apogee began funding Inferno's development, but the funds they provided weren't enough. And after seven months, they dropped the project altogether. But this left Parallax with an already funded functional prototype, which they used to produce a demo reel with. They recorded it to a VHS tape and they sent it off to various publishers. Three different publishing companies showed interest. Accolade, Trimark Interactive, and Interplay Productions. Parallax chose to work with Interplay and continued to work on Inferno. 
But even the money that Interplay was investing wasn't enough, and the duo ended up having to invest their own money into the project. But they finished it, and they released it in March of 1995. And Inferno, you've probably never heard of, because it's not Inferno. It was actually released under the title Descent. It's a good game. It's got some historical significance. The episode in question is episode 15, so go check it out on our website, www.memorycardlane.com. That episode touches on Descent, and it also touches a lot on the history of virtual reality as well. Now, Descent was a successful game, and upon its release, Parallax decided that they would work on a sequel, Descent 2. But one of Parallax's founders, Tushlog, had no intention of staying in Illinois. During the development of Descent 2, he and three other designers moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan and opened up a second office for Parallax. Wow. After the game... After the game had shipped, the team came to the understanding that working on the same game out of two different offices was not a great idea. And so they agreed that they needed to move to one office, but they couldn't decide which. So in the end, they decided to split the company in half. Kulas stayed in Champaign and would take over the Parallax offices there. Some of Parallax's employees followed Toshlog to Michigan, where they founded Outrage Entertainment. Now, Gulas's company was also due a new name, so he looked to his remaining team for ideas. When he found that he didn't like anything thrown at him, he sat down and started pulling books off the shelf in his living room, looking for an interesting idea. In a reference glossary, he found the word volition, which was described as an intense act of will to accomplish something. He drew a connection between this definition and software development, so he decided that Volition was a good choice. It was officially founded in October 1996 with 12 members. Following the split, Volition and Outrage signed with Interplay for two projects each. Their first project, Volition's first project, was a game called Descent Free Space The Great War. Now, this is commonly known simply as Free Space. The game is a space combat simulator. It was released in 1998. It rated pretty well, somewhere in the 80 mid to upper 80 percentile, and it sold about 100,000 copies within its first year, which makes it a successful title for the time. After the release of Free Space, the team at Volition began to work on four different projects. Free Space 2, Descent 4, Tube Racer, and a game called Summoner. Now, Free Space 2 was completed within the first year uh, it was released, and, well, you probably haven't heard on it of it because it's on a list of criminally underrated games. Critics loved it. It rates in the 90s in most publications. It pretty much did everything the first game did, but better. But for various reasons, it didn't sell well at all. And I'm not even joking. If you go and you look at lists of games that are like underrated or that people miss but need to play, Free Space 2 is typically on them. So uh, it just was during, released during a bad time, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Funny enough, that's actually a common theme for Volition. We're going to touch on that a few more times, actually. Nice. In the midst of the Free Space development, Tube Racer was nixed. They canceled that somewhere in this mess. Now... The other game on the list, one of the other games on the list, is Descent 4. And you may be asking, where's Descent 3? Well, Descent 3 was being developed by the other company, uh, Outrage. And 
The series always did well, so Interplay had asked Outrage to do Descent 3 and Volition to do Descent 4. But during the development of Descent 3, Interplay began to have financial difficulties. And when the game was released, it did not so well. So with the writing on the wall, Volition didn't want to go down with Interplay, so they wanted to separate themselves from them. But Interplay owned the rights to Descent, so they couldn't take the game to a different publisher. Instead, Volition did separate from Interplay. They reused much of the code and tools that they had already created for the game, and instead, they used it to create the first Red Faction game. And they also managed to complete their fourth project, Summoner, as well. Summoner is actually one of the launch titles for the PlayStation 2, which I didn't remember at all. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. I, I was too young to remember. Yeah. Volition followed these games up with sequels to both Red Faction and Summoner. Uh, there is a Red Faction 2 and there is a Summoner 2. And both games are considered sequels that have improved upon the original. But somehow they both managed to sell fewer copies than the originals. So it's as if Volition was cursed. Or maybe they just didn't have the tools in place to succeed. Very true. You know, having the right tools is important for any creative endeavor. You know, we really struggled to produce a high quality podcast when we experimented with different tools to record, edit, and publish our podcast in the beginning. And that led to a lot of extra work to produce our weekly episodes. We had to re-record parts of episodes. Hell, we had to record an entire episode again once. We also had to spend a lot of time fixing the audio to make it sound halfway decent. Yeah, that's right, Rob. A lot of time. But that all changed when we found Zencaster, the ultimate all-in-one podcasting platform. On Zencaster, all of your podcasting needs, recording, editing, distribution, and monetization can all be found in one place. They make it incredibly easy to podcast. Yeah, Zencaster offers studio-quality recording. Audio can be recorded up to 16-bit 40K WAV files, and you can record video up to 4K. And it does it in a way that's very reliable and secure. They record each track locally for quality and security purposes, and then once you're done, everything is synced up to Zencaster's cloud, where you can retrieve every individual track for your recording. Zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production. You can set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise. All with just one click of a button. And with their smart filters, you can Im- eliminate all those ums and, and long pauses in your recordings. They make it super easy to produce a high quality podcast. Zencaster is a solid hosting platform for your podcast. There are no caps on your uploads or downloads, so you don't have to worry about being on a daily, weekly, or monthly schedule. All you have to worry about is producing high quality content. They also have advanced analytics. I can see when y'all are listening to our episodes. I can see how you're listening to our episodes. I can see who's coming back week to week. I have all the data that I need to make the best decisions on how to manage my podcast and grow. And if you're looking to monetize a podcast, Zencaster has a creator network that uses AI to match your show with the right brands that resonate with your audience. You don't need 10 websites or six different programs on your PC to produce your own podcast. Zencaster makes it easy by providing you with all of the tools in one simple place. 
And boy, do we have a special offer for you. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use our code MemoryCardLane and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I can't stress this more. If you're looking to start a podcast, create content in some way, shape or form, you got to start using Zencaster today. It is so easy. They just have all the tools and it's fantastic. So it's an all in one solution. Start using Zencaster today. And well, back to our story, Rob, Valisha, though, they didn't seem to have it easy at all. You know, in fact, you nailed it right on the head when you said that they seemed to be cursed. They had been planning third games in the Red Faction and Summoner series, but because the second games didn't sell well, both of those were canceled. Now, following these cancellations, the team started to work on a heist-style game called Underground. They put about 12 months into this project until Grand Theft Auto 3 was released. As a result of GTA 3's success, the marketing department at THQ, who was publishing most of Volition's games at that point, kept pushing expectations for Underground higher and higher and higher. And at some point, both parties realized that these expectations could not be met, and Underground 2 was canceled. Now, oh, after man. this, they made a licensed Punisher games that was that was halfway decent. You ever play the Punisher game? I did not know. It was good. It was pretty gruesome, gory. I liked it. And somewhere in the midst of all this, they held a design exercise and they invited staff members to submit ideas for a new game. One idea that was thrown out there was to make a hybrid between a first-person shooter and a gang simulator, which was realistically a genre that no one had really touched at that point. A trailer was put together by taking snippets from various movies and games, underlaid with the song Fuck the Police. And after it was showcased in the THQ boardroom, THQ's chief financial officer stepped forward, stating that this would be a game they'd be more than happy to develop. Nowadays, they'd probably get canceled. I don't know. I don't know, because these things still exist. That's true. And there's money to be made. If there's money to be made, people don't care. Very true. So before development, Volition imposed several rules on the game. They wanted to exclude children. They wanted to not allow players to kill police. They knew they didn't want the game to be gruesome or have over-the-top you know, just blood and guts and all that because they didn't want to generate too much controversy. And while the idea may have started with the concept of putting two genres together, as they sat down to actually define their design principles, they decided to focus on one specific thing, and that is crafting an open world. And with that, they began work on a PlayStation 2 project called Bling Bling. That's incredible. I know. Their open world design was to provide players with more freedom in how they interacted with the open world. As they wrote the story, they did it in a way that allowed players to progress through the story at their own leisure. This was challenging because they had to balance the open-ended nature of the mission structure with a story progression that still felt natural and engaging. During this process, they turned to earlier open world games. 
Grand Theft Auto is probably on the list, let's be honest, to establish a basis for innovation, uh, adapting a design philosophy that everything matters. Design director Christopher Stockman felt that previous open world games did not reward players for experimenting with the sandbox enough because story progression was often siphoned off from the free room gameplay. And so the team really worked at what they called synthesizing the game mechanics so that missions, activities, and customization all really worked well together. Now, this evolved into the concept of activities through which the player would be encouraged into off-mission content because progression through activities would unlock more story missions. Then we had to figure out where it was taking place. This game takes place in what's called the City of Stillwater. It's a fictional city in the state of Michigan, which is said to be partially modeled after Detroit. Interesting. Wow. Also, Boston and I think New York or Pittsburgh, one or the other. Well, so the the second city in the series is Steelport. That's more of the Rust Belt stuff, but definitely Michigan, definitely Detroit for starters. But there's inspirations from other places. It's pretty dope. When the team was developing Stillwater, they started by rendering a crude model of the city in the engine, and they put a car in it, and they drove through it to get a sense of the city's scale. They found that their initial design was too small, so they quadrupled its dimensions, but that proved to be too much for the overall design of the game, so they had to work on finding a middle ground that made sense for both what they, the story they wanted to tell and the capabilities of the development team and the schedule that they had from there. From there, they began to build the city out. They added transportation networks. They added buildings. They kind of did it in little districts. uh, And they really worked at making sure that no district in the city felt more dense than any of the others. There were districts and like a shopping mall, for instance, that they didn't use those assets were put away and actually reused in the second saints row. So they did a really good job on not really wasting any resources. But the development process wasn't without its issues. We discussed this almost, I mean, a lot of weeks we hear about issues with the development process. There, for starters, were many Volition employees who didn't like bling bling whatsoever. They either didn't want to be associated with a gang simulator, or they thought that the work that they had put into the game wasn't very worthwhile. Also, at some point, the project was switched from a PlayStation 2 project to an Xbox 360 project, which was a difficult transition for the team at Volition because the 360 wasn't even out yet. This was during its uh, development phase. So the documentation provided with the dev kit wasn't really complete. And at the time, they didn't even know what the final hardware specifications were going to be. (laughs) Wow. That's insane. I know. So all in all, during the game's development, Volition overspent its budget. Its budget was $9 million. I'm not sure how far it went over. Uh, but I do know that it brought its headcount to over 100 people. So it grew into a pretty big studio. And as we know from, I mean, even our discussion last week, when studios grow exponentially, they frequently struggle with growth. That's just a fact over and over and over. So. But yeah, as we now know, they did manage to finish the game and it was released to the world as Saints Row, not Bling Bling. I don't think Bling Bling would have done well. Do you think Bling Bling would have done well? 
I don't know, man. There's a lot of people who would probably dig Bling Bling pretty high. Yeah, maybe. Well, Saints Row was released to the world on August 29th, 2006 for the Xbox 360. Now, for those of you who haven't played it, Saints Row is an open world action adventure game. It follows a player created character who joins the Third Street Saints after they save his life. And you help them rise to prominence by undermining other criminal syndicates in the fictional city of Stillwater, while also building up your own reputation within the game. As we noted in the development process, the storyline is nonlinear. It's divided into three separate story arcs, one for each of the rival gangs that, that you have to defeat in the city. Now, at the time, and even now, to be fair, Saints Row is compared to Grand Theft Auto. I've heard it called Grand Theft Auto's little brother. I've had it call, call, heard it called a Grand Theft Auto clone. I've heard it called a Grand Theft Auto knockoff. Am I missing anything? Uh, no, I think you nailed it. But in a lot of ways, it's really an unfair comparison because there are things that GTA does now that actually Saints Row did first. Saints Row was the first seventh generation sandbox game and the first nonlinear gameplay style game to be released for a 360 of any kind whatsoever. And those features that it had are now used by just about every game in this genre. They include online multiplayer. That was something new. An in-game mobile phone. GPS navigation. This is one of the earliest games I can remember having actual GPS navigation. Uh, this it introduced comprehensive character and vehicle customization to this genre. And the weapon wheel actually came from this game. Which, I mean, the weapon wheel is freaking everywhere now, you know? Yeah, I guess I didn't realize it started with this. So there are a lot of a lot of things. It's an let's be honest. It's an easy comparison, right? They're both open world games. They both tend to deal with gangs of some way, shape, or form, and, and criminal enterprises, so to speak. Yeah. So I understand why there is a comparison. I myself made the same comparison at first. I did not play the first Saints Row for a long time because I perceived it as a cheap Grand Theft Auto knockoff, and I didn't give it a chance. And then I did. And I'm glad well, I did. By the same argument, you could say something like either Call of Duty or Battlefield is a knockoff of the other. I mean, yeah, for sure. I, I, and they're like all kind of knockoff off the, off the wall. And they're all kind of knockoffs of Medal of Honor. So, yeah, very true. I mean, you can you can take a lot of games back to their roots and uh, see what they're a knockoff of. So. I will start by saying I am a big Saints Row fan. I know I haven't played the most recent one because, I mean, frankly, the reviews have been kind of lackluster. It's actually on sale for 20 bucks as we're recording this. I almost pulled the trigger. But it's still on Steam with mixed reviews, and I don't know if I want to be disappointed because up until this point, I have genuinely enjoyed my experience with all four of the Saints Row's games. The first one is way more serious than all the others. The first one tries to be an actual like gang simulator. And it, I don't know, it's always been good. I remember how weird I thought the activities were when I first played this game. Mm -hmm. do, do you remember playing the first one? 
I don't know if it was the first one. I think that it did start in there, but I think that one of my favorite activities in all of the Saints Rows was the insurance fraud. I was about to say the same thing. That's what I remember about the first one is the insurance fraud one, where the whole goal was to just see how much medical, like run in front of cars and see how high of a medical bill you can rack up. Mm Mm-hmm. I spent so much time doing just that one activity to make sure I had them all completed. The other ones, I literally could not tell you to this point. That's how that's how influential that that one was. It was so fun. It was it kind of reminded me of like a human version of uh, burnout. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's see. What are some of the activities? Is it going to show me any more activities from the first one? Gameplay. The activities include racing, carjacking, robbery, ju- drug trafficking, pimping, kidnapping, and insurance fraud. Well, that just all sounded like normal stuff you did throughout the game other than insurance fraud. So uh, I guess I just forgot that those were different activities because, you know, I mean, hey, that's the life of a gang member. That's the life of a gang member. I, forgot I didn't about think pimping. most of them got involved in insurance fraud. I forgot about pimping, having to go collect the hose. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, this game definitely pushed the envelope for its time. And, uh, you know, it's a good thing they did. I think that it brought a lot of I mean, clearly with the fact that it brought a lot of those, the GPS navigation, the weapon wheel, the the more comprehensive customizations. This was clearly an influential game in the series. And uh, I mean, I I don't remember a whole lot of specifics just because I haven't played through these since I originally did when we used to play them together. But I remember that we spent a ton of time in these games, just running the streets and being a menace and, you know, just having a great time. It was a fantastic game of its time. And, you know, I I would definitely give it a chance now to see if it's held up with time, which with, you know, rose tinted glasses, normally games do. Yeah, I'm wondering if the weapon wheel, it brought the weapon wheel to gaming in general. It brought the weapon wheel to this genre. I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know which specifically. But I do know, like I said, that, you know, like the mobile phone, GPS navigation, you know, I I think of GTA Online, how common those are with here. But that's really something that this brought to those because I don't know if you had that in GTA 3, which would have been just before this. So city. I mean, you definitely had a. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't think it was in there maybe until San Andreas. Yeah, that was my thought, too. And then but San Andreas was just like a, it was a, such a fucking game changer. That one was revolutionary. So, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, it still could have taken stuff from this to make it so revolutionary. Oh, of course. Yeah, they borrowed. They borrowed from one another. They definitely. Borrowed That's the from gaming industry in a, in a nutshell, man. That's very true. Very, very true. But, you know, I. I don't know. I like this. This is a lot of fun. You know, the Saints Row series did not end with the first Saints Row. It was a popular game, sold very well. uh, And so it's it kept going. Volition kept making them. In 2008, we got Saints Row 2. This one takes place five years later. You wake up after being in a coma for five years due to the results of the first one and find out that three new gangs have taken over. The city of Stillwater and you rinse and repeat the first game. Basically, at this point, the series takes a comedic tone. This was purposefully done to set it apart from Grand Theft Auto. 
because they didn't want to be compared to them forever and a day. Makes sense. Oh, well, and I I mean, that's what I like about it. That I mean, the comedic tone has always been what cracks me up. I mean, by the third one, you're beating people with giant dildos, you know? Yep, that, yep. They're a lot of fun. And then, I mean, you can play it normal. Giant dildo is optional, but like. No, it's a necessity in that game. <laughs> Pretty sure you, it was an achievement. Let's be honest. You can Wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, you can. You can definitely tell that there is a difference in the tone of it. You know, there I, I remember getting such a kick out of the banter of the characters when you're driving around i think in saints row 2 there's karaoke like songs come on the radio and some of your the people that drive with you will start singing to the songs which always cracked me up like the fact that a developer took the time to to record those lines and add it in the game i loved love love loved that might be the third but it's in one of the two or three yeah so i mean saints row just got bigger and better and and funny in 2011, we got Saints Row the Third. This changed location. It now takes place in the city of Steelport. This is a. They basically upped the ante. There's more emphasis on comedy. There's a lot of popular culture references. There's parodies. There's self-referential humor. It it's just over the top in general, and again. A lot of fun. Now, Saints Row 4, things got kind of weird for me personally. In the fourth game, it's set five years after Saints Row the Third, and it begins with the boss being elected president of the United States. And when aliens attack the Earth, the boss and other saints are abducted and they're put into a simulation of Steelport that's meant to break their wills. And basically they have to rise up, defeat the aliens, break the simulation and send the aliens packing. It was even more over the top, but it maybe pushed it a little too far for me personally. But I still played it. I played I played it and liked it. Some of the simulation stuff was cool. Like I vaguely remember being put into like a 50s, like leave it to beaver type town. That was kind of neat so they they got to use the simulation to do some very very interesting things but yeah it was it was a lot of fun we've played the third one together was it most likely second or third i mean it's been so long like i mean we like we were playing these around release time so 2011 i don't remember exactly which one it would have been but we definitely played quite a bit, and I know that this was one of the ones, too, that uh, when me and my friends would be hanging out, we'd pop it all up and, you know, hey, everyone take a turn. When you die, you're past the controller. Very, very true. Very, very true. It's always past the controller. Did you ever play the fourth one? I don't believe I did. That does not. I, I remember, like, seeing that, and I don't think that I ever got into it. Uh, that's definitely one that I have to to give a whirl because it sounds interesting. And I mean, obviously, I love the first three, but somehow the fourth one I just never got around to. I don't know if I just decided not to buy it or something else was occupying my time and I completely skipped over it or what. I'm pretty sure I bought the fourth one from Newegg for like ten dollars and it was a physical copy, but it just had a card inside. 
Oh. I don't know why that sticks out in my mind, but I'm almost positive I bought the fourth one as a physical copy. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't believe I had it because I know I don't have a copy of that one laying around because I see most of my uh, 360 games and no, I just I don't recall seeing a fourth in there. I don't think I ever owned the first one. I think I got it from like Gamefly when game rentals were a thing. I I vaguely remember renting it and I don't think I rented it from the video store. Time wise, I would have been living. Yeah, I would have been living. It would have been after college. So, yeah, I probably rented it from Gamefly because that's about the period when Gamefly was a thing and I was living off campus working all the time. Well, there you go. I'm not entirely sure. I I know for a fact I have the original and I'm pretty confident I have the second. I know I never bought the third, but I did rent that one from the video store back when those existed. Crazy to think about that. I have two, three and four on my in my Steam library. Hmm. I've played. All of them, according to this on Steam, so Of course, my Steam bugs out, so I can't check right now. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Sure, it bugs out. Oh, I mean, I would have access to them, too, because you do. Oh, good call. <laughs> yeah, that is true. We did set that up. So that's it. Were there uh, any other ones after the fourth? Well, yeah, we already touched on it. They rebooted the series in 2022. They are... It's a game. It's set in the fictional city of Santo Yeso. It's loosely based on Las Vegas. Takes place in the Southwest. It story. The story follows a group of four friends who start their own outlaw gang called the Saints, which they subsequently expand by seizing power from other criminal organizations in the city. Like I said, it's on sale right now. You can get it for less than $20 until the end of so by the time you guys listen to this it's probably not going to be on sale anymore (laughs) oh man oh and it just came out I lied it it literally came out this week August 24th 2023 why did I say it was a reboot in 2022 why I I have no idea Dave so it's already on sale even though it just dropped yeah that's such a weird freaking it can't it can't be released on August 24, 2023. That has to be like a, a, a glitch or something, because I definitely saw a release date of 2022 somewhere. Now I have to go look because I feel silly. Da, 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 da. Saints Row action adventure games. August 23rd, 2022. I'm not wrong. That's their release date. Weird. So it probably got released to Steam a year later, maybe, or? Oh, that's actually a good point. Maybe it was an Epic exclusive for a year or something like that. It's a possibility. It really has mixed reviews, though. Apparently, they really took the comedy out of it. They wanted to go back to a more like serious and realistic presentation of Saints Row. And it's not what the game's known for anymore. And it's So it might be that it's a good game, just not a Saints Row game. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. sure. I definitely think that I might give it a try. I mean, for I 20 bucks or wait, I'll wait and see when it drops. You know, I'll wait end up with it. See when it drops. Some... Yeah, exactly. I'll end up with it someday. So there's actually another game that's kind of set in the same universe. In 2017, they came out with Agents of Mayhem. 
technically it's not part of the Saints Row series. They they try to do a multiverse thing with Red Faction, Saints Row, and um, I can't remember the other game. Anyways, the result is Agents of Mayhem. It's tied to it, but not. There are canceled games in the series. Uh, a, there was going to be a PSP game in 2009 called Saints Row Undercover. The game involved you playing as a corrupt undercover policeman in the city of Stillwater. Like the real game, you had to complete various missions around the city. It was canceled during development, but eventually a developmental build of the game was leaked online by Volition themselves. There was also supposed to be a little Xbox Live arcade title called Saints Row Money Shot. It was designed to be part of the marketing campaign for Saints Row the Third, but that was never released. And then there's some other titles that we really only have names on. They had a 3DS title plan called Saints Row Drive-By. There was a motion, so Connect and PlayStation Move fighting game that I don't even have a title for. And then there was a PS3 game called Saints Row the Cooler that never happened. And beyond the title, I couldn't I couldn't find much information. So I wonder if it was like a DBZ crossover. <laughs> I do not know. As for other media in the Saints Row universe, there's no comic books. There's no books. I don't really know what you'd write about, but they've tried to get the film going more than once. First, back in 2009, rapper 50 Cent announced that he was working on a screenplay he had all intentions of writing and optioning the rights for a Saints Row film. Again, never happened. In 2019, it was announced that a Saints Row film was in pre-production. Uh, Greg Russo is the screenwriter. He's done a few other things, like he's also working on a sequel to the live-action Death Note. And I think one other video game adaption I can't recall right now. He's got a decent pedigree, uh, but we haven't heard anything about it since 2019, so... Who the frick knows? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't even hear about the one that like I'd never even heard it back in 2019. <laughs> uh, as for other players in this, the other company outrage, the outrage studio was bought by THQ and shut down within like two years. The one that was working on Descent 3, they only made, I think, two games. Oh, wow. Mike, I, guess I didn't realize that. <laughs> Mike Kulas actually left Volition in May of 20. I'm probably butchering his name. Sorry, dude. Kulas. I don't know. He actually left Volition in May of 2011 during the development of the third Saints Row. He, as he put it, goofed off for four years before he managed to get back together with Matt Toshlog, and they founded a new studio called Revival Productions in 2014. They kickstarted a game named Overload. It is designed as a spiritual successor to Descent and Descent 2, which, of course, are their earlier video games. Does it well, does it in virtual reality, no less. So that's kind of cool. It came out in 2018, and it got fairly favorable reviews. As that all winded down, Kulas actually returned to Volition as general manager. He was gone for only about eight years. I guess I say only. It's a long time. 
And when he joined the team, that would have been right about when they started development on the reboot of the series. I haven't seen any news about him since. So as far as I know, he is still managing the studio through whatever it's working on now, which I. I can't I can't find out what they're working on now. I have no clue. And also it's like a condition of his return that like, hey, we got to reboot the series if I'm coming back because that's where I got my start and now I'm going to do it again. I don't know. I think if you look at Volition's library, they've kind of stuck to their bread and butter, which has always been like Red Faction and Saints Row. So I, I don't think it was a condition, but it was inevitable because that's what makes the money and that's all they really do anymore. So yeah, fair point. Also, I think they went so far sideways on Saints Row 4 that they didn't have any choice but to reboot the series. Just wish they would have kept the irre- irre- irreverent humor because that's what gives Saints Row its charm. Uh, maybe they'll have learned their lesson. Maybe they'll have learned their lesson. Or you know what it is, Dave. The original one tried taking itself seriously and progressively got more sideways. So maybe that's what's going to happen with the reboot franchise. No, actually. So through a series of all sorts of acquisitions and stuff, Volition actually was owned by Deep Silver. Not owned, but they were part of the Deep Silver group. Deep Silver is owned by Ed Koch Media. The reboot did so poorly, mediocre reviews didn't sell very well, that they actually moved Volition from Deep Silver to Gearbox. So now they work under Randy Pitchford and the, I mean, Gearbox, we always associate the Borderland, but they're a publishing company that does way more than Borderland. But they went from being part of Deep Silver to being part of Gearbox under the Koch Media conglomerate. So the studio moved. I did not see anywhere where they fired him. So he's probably general manager still and they're figuring out whatever is next. But now they're part of Gearbox. Well, I don't know. Still could always mean a reboot. The second one could be crazy. Maybe. If they follow the theme of the first uh, series, you're probably right. It was a formula for success. That's right. As for Toshlog, I I can't find any news on him. I don't know what he did after Overload. I don't know what he did after Overload. So, but, you know, Valicious probably got still, overloaded. Probably got overloaded. Probably. It was a whole lot of game. But everyone's still kicking. Valicious still kicking and the Saints Row franchise is still kicking and the founders of Valicious are still kicking. Everybody's still kicking. So, Kick, no. kick, 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 kick. And as far as I know, you can kick people in a Saints Row. I don't actually know if that's the case, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised. You can punch people. You got to be able to kick. Very true. Very true. But this story goes back. This story goes way, way back. Like I said, you know, they got their start making Descent. And as I noted, we previously did an episode on Descent, previously called Inferno. That would be episode 15. And in case you are not aware, you can go and check out all of our episodes, 157 episodes now, in our archives on our website at www.memorycardlane.com. Rob, what else can people find on our website? Well, Dave, you can find a calendar of our future episodes. You can maybe go ahead and leave us a little bit of information you know about the game or just some fun little quirky things that you like about the game. You can find a description of Dave and I, you can find links to things such as our Patreon, where you can 
for the cheap, cheap price of $1 a month, see unedited videos and ad free, not videos, where you can find unedited and ad free versions of the episodes that you hear here. You can also find links to things such as our Discord, where you can come hang out with Dave and I talk about games or just tell Dave that he's wrong. And speaking of David being wrong, you can find links to our social media. I am on multiple platforms as Rob underscore O underscore Raptor and Dave. I can be found on various platforms as David underscore is underscore wrong. Come and tell me how wrong I am. Each week, we tell you a story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. This week, said story is about Saints Row, the action-adventure game released, I don't know, August of 2006, I guess. While teaching you about all these topics, while giving you these history lessons, we hope to teach you something new. It can be something new about the topic. It can be something that it took from the world as its inspiration, or you can learn something that it gave back to the world in its legacy. We do research for every episode, and as we research them, as we tell you these history lessons, we learn things. That's the best part about doing this website. It's a, vi- it's a vicious, not vicious, it's a fantastic cycle, where when we teach, we learn. I don't remember all these stories. So every time I sit down to do research and refresh myself for an episode, I learn things. It's great. I love learning things. That brain is a sponge and I love teaching you all. So in recognition of the teaching learning cycle, we like to go round table and talk about our takeaways. So Rob, what did you learn today? Well, Dave, this was a definitely knowledge packed episode of things that I did not know about. Uh, I think my biggest takeaway is, one, we can't get past the name Bling Bling. That is incredible. Should have stuck with it. I I think they really should have stuck with it. That would have been fantastic. But I also think it's really cool how we just see here the interconnection, the interweb of all of these different developments of games, the different companies that develop them, the designers and things. Because we talked just last week about Bioshock and System Shock 2. And some of the people that were part of that group ended up creating this, you know, they created their own development company after working on another project that was highly influential and created something else that furthered the gaming industry. So it's it's just kind of cool to see the interconnection. I mean, I I talk about it so often, but it's still just every time we talk about these things, it's amazing to see how all of these things are so interconnected. And how it all progresses into where we are today. It's very true. When I started out my research for today's episode, I did not expect to be able to tie it to last week's episode, which cracked me up when I finally did so. It's like Blue Sky Productions, Blue Sky Productions, I've done that. Inferno, Descent, we've done that too. Like it, I mean, we're getting to the point with enough enough episodes behind us that we just keep putting all the pieces together, you know? Absolutely. It's it's great to see. So that's mine. What about you, Dave? What was your big takeaway from this week? I'm fascinated by the fact that Stillwater is in Michigan and modeled after Detroit. I had no clue. Okay, yeah, that one was another one for me. I I definitely when you said that, it was like, well, damn, that's freaking crazy. I wish I would have known. Like, it's kind of cool. I want to go back and play it now just to see the influence, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that was pretty cool. I, I like the interconnectedness. I'm, I mean, that's always been the fun of doing this podcast is getting to see, you know, I've always been a advocate 
in that I, I don't think that we treat enough people in this industry as artists the way we should. You know, we we know we know movie directors and we know screenwriters, you know, and and there are recognizable things, but there are not a lot of those same the same type of figures in the video game industry. And I've always been an advocate for making sure that people get credit where credit is due. And that was part of, you know, why we do this week in week out. So, so yes, so yes, but that my friends is the story of Saints Row and the Stillwater gang, you know, Indeed it is, Dave, and a fantastic game and series it is. I know. I love Saints Row. It, you're right. It's one of those games that like you can just pick up and, and run around with a friend and beat people and have a lot of fun doing it. You don't have to put terribly much thought into it. And you have a lot of like there's always a, pl- a there's always space for games like that in your life. They're just a lot of fun, you know? Absolutely. Hit it right on the head. All right. Well, before I take it into next week, Rob, is there anything that you'd like to add to today's episode? As always, Dave, I do just want to take one quick moment to say thank you so much to everyone for listening. It means the world to us, and we hope that you enjoy hearing us as you listen. So thank you. Awesome. Well, with that being said, let's look at next week, where we're going to be heading back yet again to one of the greatest and most important video games of all time. I know I say that over and over and over, but there's still lots of very important, great video games we haven't touched on. Released in September of 1998, Metal Gear Solid is an action-adventure stealth game that helps popularize the stealth genre and in-engine cinematic cutscenes. And next week, we're going to learn about how it all came to be. So go ahead and collect those boxes in preparation for our own little stealth trip on next week's trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Doop 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 doop.